Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ernest, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this episode, we're breaking down everything you need to know about winter recreation in Oregon this season, given COVID and wildfire complications. In the second half, we'll draft the best overlooked state parks from Blacklock Point to Golden and Silver Falls. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. David, so this is a podcast of not one, but two parts. In the first half, we're going to break down some of the important details that you need to know about winter recreation this winter, given COVID complications, wildfire limitations. We'll look at what's open and what's closed at ski areas, state parks, hot springs, the Columbia River Gorge trails, Crater Lake, just a whole host of different places this winter as recreation season kicks into high gear. In the second part, we are going to pick the best overlooked state parks in Oregon with the director of the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department. Did you know there are over 260 state parks, recreation sites statewide? And, you know, we had a lot of fun with this. I I actually learned a lot. But, David, let's start by talking about this winter. Yeah, and there's some good news here. Most of the places you usually enjoy during winter are probably still open. Even with the closure of thousands of acres burned in the wildfires and with the ongoing surge of the pandemic, winter recreation is likely going to be the least impacted. The catch will come when you look at camping, renting yurts at state parks, visiting backcountry snow shelters, or visiting a ski area. Yeah, you know, we talk about this a lot. And if this podcast had a motto, I'm pretty sure it would be like, do your homework. And just like this past summer, that really applies once again because just about everyone is, is, is expecting recreation visits to be off the charts again because people, like we said, don't have much else to do this winter. Gyms are closed, you know, indoor playgrounds and museums and all this kind of stuff that people would normally do, it's closed. The, the outdoors is kind of what we've got left. So you want to be prepared. All right, let's jump into the stuff people need to know. Ski areas are probably the most obvious place to start. So what should we know before hitting the slopes? Well, this is a clear case of where you 100% need to check in before going. Some ski areas like Mount Bachelor require reserving a parking spot. So you not only have to get that ticket in advance, but you also have to reserve like the place you put your car. And that's just how they're controlling numbers this year. At Hoodoo, um, up on Sanium Pass, they're just using their parking lot to control numbers. So when it fills up, you're out of luck. Each place is doing things just a little bit differently. They have their own protocols, and they're all different. Obvious stuff is going to be, you know, you got to wear a mask. Uh, The food is going to be largely served outside. And, you know, it's a bummer because you miss that sort of, you know, lunchtime warm-up where you hang out. Maybe you have a beer in the lodge. But on the slopes, most things stay the same. You're still flying down the mountain on your skis or snowboards. Yeah, I think one of the biggest pieces of preparation is going to be prepare for the lack of a lodge. Yeah. And so, you know, there will be limited food and beverage, whatever, but you don't, you can't count on that second half of your day stopping, warming up. You're essentially confined to your car at that point. So it's whatever you kind of bring with you. It is. And, you know, I've been up to a couple ski areas as we've done early season uh, preview stories and whatnot. And what I've seen is people kind of like tailgating. 
So they're setting up their cars as like a little base camp. They'll even have like a stove out there. They'll have like uh, a table and they're like grilling out there. And so, you know, if you're creative and you know, you can find a way around the lack of having a lodge. So you just need to know before you go. Know before you go. So some folks are also going to be looking for, you know, that nice winter hike. Let's talk some trails. The wildfires burned almost a million acres this fall, but there's still plenty that's still open, right? Yeah, so generally speaking, all national forest hiking trails are open unless they are in a wildfire closure area. So we'll get to the gorge in a second, but generally speaking, if you're headed to the Sanium Canyon, Opal Creek, North Umpqua, or the Clackamas area, be very careful before you head out about the closures because there's just massive areas that you can't go into right now and won't be able to get into for a while. An easy way to check on this is just to go to the Mount Hood or Willamette National Forest website. There'll be a closure map and go from there. Okay, let's jump back to the snow real quick. What about trails and snow parks? Sort of the little choose-your-own-adventure winter recreation hubs located on mountain passes around Mount Hood, Sanium Pass, and Willamette Pass. Yeah, I love snow parks. As we've discussed, we've devoted a couple of podcasts just to them. They're basically like, you know, the the trailheads, except for snowshoe and Nordic ski trails. You need that $25 permit from the DMV, and they do check. Actually, I was just up at a snow park, and the state police were checking every car. They busted one family, and I, luckily I was there because I told them that they could buy uh, the DMV permit, like, online. And that actually saved them a parking ticket. So, the state police take this seriously. You will get a ticket if you don't have the snow park permit. Anyway... So if you buy it online, how do you display it in your car? Well, basically the cop was like, look, if I watch you buy this, like I'll give you a pass this time. You can print off like a temporary snow park permit if you have a printer at home. Uh, Otherwise, they just mail it to you. Anyway, so I can't think of a better place to social distance than these snow parks. Like they're, you know, this glorious little network into the snowy backcountry. It's just wonderful. And Luckily, all of those places are open. Every snow park in Oregon right now is going to be open. All the trails are open. The question comes when we talk about the little snow shelters. Now, these are shelters in the backcountry where there's usually like a little stove, place to sit down. You can spend the night there if you want to. Uh, Not everybody does that, but they're just great to like stop and have lunch at typically. Now, here's a funny distinction that the Forest Service has made this year. If they are enclosed, meaning if there's like a door, then they are typically off limits due to COVID because they're trying to discourage clustering in there, essentially, which makes a level of sense. However, a lot of these snow shelters don't have a door, so they physically can't really close them. They're not going to put boards over them. So those are just open the way they normally would be. And I know it's a funny distinction, but just when you're going out on a trip, look at which shelters you're going to go to know if they're open or not, and then kind of go from there. Okay, so we've all been cooped up at home, and really a camping trip sounds pretty nice right now, even if a bit cold. What's the status of camping and yurts or cabins? Okay, so for the most part, all state park campgrounds are open. There's a few that never reopen due to budgetary issues and stuff, but generally they're good to go. The question has been over yurts and cabins, which are incredibly popular for obvious reasons, especially in the winter. You know, when when it's raining outside, you know, you can go huddle up in your warm little yurt. And then when it clears, you can go back out there. Right now, at this moment, yurts and cabins are open for rental at nine state parks. And those are all inland. So we're talking about places like Silver Falls, Shampooey, Cottonwood Canyon. So you go to Reserve America, see what you can score. 
The bigger question has been yurts at Oregon coast parks, because those are the most popular by far. People love loading up the family in the winter, heading out to the coast and having that yurt. It's a great place to watch a, you know, a storm roll in. Mm-hmm. The good news is that, yes, yurts on the Oregon coast will start to reopen for rental in early January. Now, that's not going to be this big announcement they make. So you're going to need to keep your eye on Oregon State Park websites because they're going to do a slow rollout of these different coastal parks kind of as their staff is ready to do it. They'll do it, but they're not going to tell you. So this is going to be a case where, you know, the early bird gets the worm situation or, you know, the person who watches the website the most gets the reservation. That's essentially what this will be. Let's turn our attention to another recreation hotspot, the Columbia Gorge. This is important because it's Portland's backyard, and there's really kind of a limited supply of dramatic non-snow hiking trails. Mm -hmm. Land managers in the gorge have been close to reopening a bunch of famous waterfall trails, including the Eagle Creek Trail, for quite a while now. Where do we stand? Yeah, this has become a pretty decent-sized source of annoyance for a lot of people. There are some very popular trails, including Elwha Falls, Eagle Creek, Wachella Falls that have been on the brink of opening now for like months. The Forest Service and state parks, they want to open these all together in at kind of one fell swoop. And it's been taking longer than expected. I can say, according to my sources there, that I believe it's going to be open before New Year's Eve. But they were also supposed to open around Thanksgiving and it didn't happen. So we'll see. This is again, like with the state parks and yurts, You got to keep your eye, uh, see what they're doing, because they might be crafty about it. They just might open it one day, not tell anybody, and you're off to the races. Okay, so in a nutshell so far, everything has been more or less open with the exceptions you mentioned. Let's talk about Oregon's only national park, Crater Lake. What should folks know before heading out there? Right, you know, Crater Lake is the most amazing place scenically in Oregon, and that is especially true in the winter. The differences here are this year there are not going to be the popular ranger-guided snowshoe trips. And that's kind of a bummer because that was one good way, especially for families that were maybe a little weary about snowshoeing into the the backcountry. You know, they could be led by a ranger and you get a good educational talk at the same time. Because of COVID, that's just not going to happen this year. Other, uh, other things that are going to be different are they often had food available at some of the little uh, uh, places up there at the Rim Village it's called and the food won't be available this year. And finally, if you're one of those people who wants to do the 33 mile backcountry trip around Crater Lake, now this is a really popular, uh, especially Nordic uh, ski trip where, you know, you haul your stuff and take three to four days to circle the lake and snow camp. You can still do that. Uh, It's just, there isn't a ranger there who's going to give you the permit to do that. You're going to have to go into this little uh, t- it's called a snow tunnel right at the uh, at the ranger station there. And you basically have to just fill it out yourself, drop it in there. And that might change uh, because it was really nice having the ranger there to kind of talk through your trip a little bit. Um, so instead of doing that, you have to call in advance, oftentimes leave a message and then they call you back. Um, so again, do your homework, like start planning this trip a week in advance or something. Get that talk with the ranger over the phone because they're not going to be there in person. So hopefully we've given you enough to make a game plan to make the most out of the winter season. Zach, anything else to mention before we move on to our draft of the best overlooked state parks? Well, hot springs are a question that I get a lot. And right now it's it's a super mixed bag. It totally depends on the location. So McCready Hot Springs on Willamette Pass is open. 
But Terwilliger Hot Springs on the McKenzie area is not, although it might open in a few weeks. Umpqua Hot Springs closed, Bagby Hot Springs open, except that it's nearly impossible to reach because it's surrounded by closed roads. So yeah, a lot of these places are just in flux because you have that combination of, you know, fires, COVID, it all mixes together to make things about as complicated as as you could hope for. We already did a a separate podcast specifically about Oregon waterfall hunting and our podcast about winter waterfalls and snowy waterfalls is, you know, still makes sense. All of those are still open. So make sure to check those out and get caught up on everything Oregon's Outdoors brings to the table this time of season. All right, that wraps up this first newsy half of this podcast. When we come back, we'll have Zach and the director of Oregon State Parks Department pick their favorite overlooked state parks. So stick around for that after this message from our sponsor. The following message is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council. Did you know the Northwest Forest Sector applies cutting-edge technology to utilize every wood fiber possible? Residual material from saw logs, such as bark, wood chips, and sawdust, are often converted to pulp to make paper products. Today's sawmills also use these residuals to create renewable power for their own facilities and even sell energy to local utilities to power thousands of homes in their communities. AFRC stands for Sustainable Forests and Healthy Communities. Learn more at amforests.org. Okay, we're back. In the second half of the podcast, we have Zach along with Lisa Sumpton, the director of Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, and Chris Havel, an associate director and spokesman who's been with the state parks for quite a while, drafting their favorite overlooked state parks. Yeah, we originally recorded this a few months ago when we had Lisa and Chris in to talk about the crazy summer of 2020 and that full COVID-19 shutdown. It was really a crazy thing that happened last spring. We did the draft at kind of the end of that conversation, but because it was such a long, you know, hour-long conversation, I'm not sure how many people actually made it all the way to this little draft. And it was a lot of fun because you have the people who know these parks the best talking about the little, like, history and details and, like, how these little parks came together. And while, like, everybody knows about Silver Falls or Fort Stevens, the cool thing is that, you know, there's 260 state parks and there's just a lot of little hidden gems out there. And that was what we tried to focus on. So the voices you're going to hear are mine, obviously, and then Chris and Lisa. We are basically building a fantasy football team here of less visited parks and talking about why we like them so much. So that's the idea. We do this on our podcast. It's just a fun way of talking about places. Lisa, I'm going to let you go first. What is in the draft of lesser known Oregon State Parks? What is uh, what is your first selection? Oh, my gosh. My first selection would be Minum. Why? Oh, no. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it. Like, Chris is like, don't say it out loud because everyone's going to love it. But... Minum State Recreation Area. Yeah, Minum, Minum is probably, it's got to be up there for me. Okay. What makes it stick out? Why, why pick that one? Have you been there? Nope. <sighs> yeah, so it's a, it's a very quaint, small recreation site right on the river. And it's, it's just a different experience than we have in most of our other state parks. And so for me, it's, it's a much quieter sanctuary. Gotcha. And that's the Grand Ronde River, right? 
Yep, it's right mm -hmm. near the confluence of the Grand Ronde and the Minam Rivers, about 45 minutes from Wallawa Lake, on the way to Wallawa Lake. It's a great spot to stop. Okay. Is it or a stay there and visit Wallawa Lake. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> but Chris is going to hate that because he won't be alone Yes, now. right. It's one of my tent camp spots. There's a little primitive tent camp there. Are no showers, just a vault restroom. and. It's very popular during hunting yeah, season. Feral apple trees along the trail down as you're walking down uh, the river. Great fly fishing up there as well. There's almost always a bear right near the yep. camp campsites too. <laughs> is that close to the put-in for the Grand Ronde float? Like, it is. It is. On the park. Yeah. On the other side. Yep. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, Chris, what we're going to do three rounds here. I should have mentioned. What is your first round selection, Chris? Yeah. So uh, while I try to emphasize Eastern Oregon parks as well, just to keep people from hammering the coast. This is my first pick. It needs to be a coast park. So I'm going to go Blacklock Point, Flores Lake State Natural Area. Um, Wild strawberries. Yes. Underappreciated, uh, beautiful, strange, twisted, much like many of the people that I know. So. I think you might be talking about you and Isaac, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> well, and that's a place that it's almost, it's kind of tucked between like the northern coast and the southern like it's neither one what what makes it stick out like describe it just a little bit so uh first you're not going to see a sign to black lock point for the trailhead off of the highway so um i pick it because it's a stealth park the locals know it and it doesn't take much work for you to find it uh there there are a couple of things that sort of elevate it in my mind first it's the home to the pygmy forest and i just like saying the words pygmy forest uh you should try it it's like pygmy goats uh, so uh yes in a way if goats grew very slowly in poor clay soils because of trapped moisture which i think is my goat experience yes, as well yes. uh, so yeah um so endangered plants rare animals trails that not have just sort of, of, of been built up not a lot of people lead you to in my the view, view. <laughs> one of the most stunning views in and i'm including sam boardman in that which is hard to beat mm -hmm. of the the south coast which is still where my heart lives um while the north coast no shade to the north coast but Yes, got people. And uh, on the south coast, uh, Blacklock Point, Flores Lake State Natural Area, Curry County is just, you know, it's a little bit of heaven down there. So I'm putting that first. Cool. All right. So my first pick, I'm going to go with Golden and Silver Falls. Nice. It's one of my favorite because my second pick. <laughs> it always confuses people when you talk about it or write about it. They will, I'll get emails like correcting me and saying like, wait, Silver Falls yeah. is right. this one over here. And I'm like, no, this is a fun little like patch of old, used to be like a, a timber area. It used to be, I think you bought it from a timber company. Yeah. And there's an old timber road that leads up out of the park too. Yeah. And you get there and just nothing really prepares you for the power of those waterfalls, especially in the middle of like December or January. They're as good as anything at the more famous Silver Falls State Park or anything statewide. And they're or just is it Silver Falls or Silver Creek? Uh -oh. <laughs> you don't get that either. <laughs> you're you're going to open up just such a can of worms. <laughs> but it's also great for kids. I brought both girls when they were very small there and the trails are, are quick and easy, but it's still fun. There's little places in the creek to play with. So when you talk about like a really remote little patch of heaven, oh, um, it's beautiful. Golden and Silver Falls is, is definitely going to be my first pick. So we are on to the second round. Lisa, what is your, what is your second pick? Uh, well, you took my second pick, so I guess I'm going to have to go with Munson Falls. 
um, because it's so easy to access it and you don't you, you go down that little road and you're thinking what could possibly be here right here at the end and I think just about anybody could get there it's pretty accessible and it's, it's a pretty special little spot that I don't think most people pull off at either mm-hmm. and it, it, it's, it's a great stopping point if you just want to get out and stretch even it's it's a great little space yeah. there and so it's right along highway 101 in Tillamook County mm-hmm. um, just south how, of Tillamook. how yeah. far is it from Cape Lookout it's pretty close to Cape Lookout isn't it well, as the crow flies, it's close, but it does minutes. take a bit of a drive uh, to get there because of the route that you have to take. So, yeah, it's in that 25-minute range. But Almost easy. every time I go up to a Sam and Barry meeting, it's my stopping point just to breathe yeah. before I go into the meeting. <laughs> and it's a real short little trail. You kind of Tiny. follow the creek, and then you get to the viewpoint. It's right there. Yeah. 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 And the view is a little challenging there, so I think it's it's worth the effort, and you sort of get little hints of the waterfall uh, through the view. At, you can hear it as you're going up. Mm-hmm. And salmon spawn in that creek too, don't they? I did not I, know that. I don't know. We have pictures of nice. salmon spawning there. Really? Uh, I just, yeah, I remember writing about it briefly at one point, and I looked in our archive, and there was pictures of salmon spawning oh, in that sweet. creek. Oh, Learned something new. Nice. Um, all right, Chris, what is your second pick? So I'm moving inland to Thompson's Mills, uh, oh, yeah. down near the town of Shed, south of Albany. Um, so I'm going from Blacklock, which is pretty much an all-natural experience, to Thompson's Mills, which is all-cultural experience. So it's the one of the oldest water-powered flour mills still surviving in the state, which is saying something given the environment down there where it's all wet and things fall apart pretty quickly. But I just like standing in a building uh, that has hand-hewn beams that date back to the Lincoln presidency. You know, <laughs> that, that there's something moving about uh, sort of being in a place that reminds you of that part of both national and Oregon history. And it's also an opportunity to reflect on the people who, uh, you know, were here before settlers moved in from the East Coast. Uh, so you, you you just get a lot of views of the Oregon landscape at a park like that. Yeah, we we were down there not that long ago, both me and David. And when you walk in there, it's you really feel like you have traveled back in time a couple hundred years. Like it captures that authentic feel really well because I guess it is authentic. Very. Um, <laughs> there was some work that was getting done there when we were there. Like there was some renovations, I think. Yeah, we've been doing work to stabilize the structure once again because everything that humans build wants to fall down. That's just <laughs> sort of the way it works. Uh, so, yes, uh, restorations, um, concrete work. Uh, I think there was some HVAC and fire suppression work um, at one point. I don't know how recent that is. Uh, and just keeping up with the whitewashing and the painting uh, is a constant. We have reconnected the river system there so that the river no longer, the Kalapuya no longer flows through the, the mill like it used to because it was diverted to do yeah, that. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's now a standing pool that we can refill and use to charge the mill when we want to do a demonstration or something like that. But And, and once again, you, you get all of that story when you're there at the park. It's, it's a small patch. Um, you know, It's not a big natural park. It's just a big cultural park. Yeah. All right. So my second pick, can I go with a little bit of a random one? I don't know if it's necessarily lesser known, but it's uh, Tuvel State Recreation Site down in Southern Oregon. So when I lived down there, that was just at the beginning of my journalism career. And I had very little to do, no girlfriend or hope of ever finding one. And so that's how I became an outdoor reporter is because I was just going outdoors all the time. And steelhead are notoriously difficult fish to catch especially on a fly rod, but it was my ambition. I was going to catch a steelhead on a fly rod. 
and Tuvel is where I did it. Um, wow. And that was the place where I did the most fly fishing. And it's just, it's real easy. You just, it's right off a main road it's and just, you just get down there, but it has great access to the Rogue River. Yeah. And so it's always has a special place in my heart. I never camped there or did the boat tours or anything. Yeah, it was no just camping, drove down there, parked, and then walked along the Rogue River and actually caught some steelhead on a fly rod. Nice. I always liked it. It was always like a comfortable, yeah. it's one of my favorite like parks, like not all parks have to be Silver Falls-esque right. in grandeur. Yeah. They can just kind of be close to where you are and provide something. And I always felt that way about Tuville. All right, so moving into the third third round. This is uh, your last pick, Lisa. What Don't are you going to go with? that I have in my head. I know, <laughs> you guys are, you, yep. he already took one of mine. So um, <laughs> so another one, I don't know that it's a, a less popular because I think it's gaining popularity, but if folks have not been to Cam Wachung, Cam yes. okay. has to be, I think every Oregonian needs, I mean, just the history and the culture that is in that space. And I remember when I first started with Parks and we had a grant to do a, um, to do an audio interpretation of Kim Chung and I was I was testifying in front of the legislative body to explain like why we needed the money to do this thing and I mean if you have never been there you cannot even experience because it's such a small space but the amount of history and culture and the intactness of that that museum is just absolutely incredible and what that means to the Chinese community and culture in Oregon um, is just one of those places that is really really cool and special and it's gaining popularity internationally. I mean, our international visitors, I mean, we've had over, I think, 30 countries, and it's, it's gained a lot of popularity because it is the most intact Chinese history. Well, so just give us like a little re- Reader's Digest version of exactly where it is and kind of when you go there, like what, what do you see and do? So um, over in John Day, there's mm-hmm. this little, little tiny house in a park setting next to a city park, next to a city pool. There's this little tiny house, and it is tiny. <laughs> and that the building was intact and sat there vacant for 25 years. Yep. Um, and like, like almost like a tomb. It was just totally intact. And when we opened it back up, everything was there fully in place. So you can, you can, especially with the audio tour, you can literally hear what you would interpret Doc Hayes' voice and kind of like the feel of walking in and having some traditional Chinese medicine. And mm-hmm. you see little, all these little tinctures and just different, different unique ways of thinking. Yeah, about. that's a beautiful choice. So that park um, is the site of a Chinese business and herbalist shop from the 1800s. That was the center of the Chinese community. There were a lot of Chinese immigrants brought to Oregon to work uh, in mines and in railroads and in other development projects. They weren't welcome to live here. Um, but we certainly, uh, as Oregonians, were trying to make the most of their uh, labor and industriousness. And this having a separate place wherever the Chinese were present, where basically a, a cultural touch point for them and a place for them to go and feel comfortable, that's those. That's the sort of thing that uh, Kam Wah Chung became thanks to a businessman and an herbalist uh, who, who moved in uh, from China to open that up. And they ran it, it ran continuously as a business to the 1940s when the doctor died, and when he did, they just closed up the building. And it sat there neglected until the 70s when the city said, gosh, what is that building in the middle of our park next to the pool? <laughs> what are we going to do with that? <laughs> uh, and nobody really knew. There weren't good records. They opened it up, and they found, in essence, a time capsule 
of the Chinese experience in Central Oregon with all of the herbalists and the goods and the records and the life of a person living under those conditions just sort of per- perfectly preserved in, in place, especially in Eastern Oregon where things are drier and a little more, you know, the decay doesn't happen like it does here on the west side. Uh, and that became a state park shortly thereafter because the city was like, there seems to be a need to steward this, you know, to present that story back to, uh, to Oregon and state parks were the first thing that came to mind for them. Wow, that is cool. I haven't been out to it, so I'll have to... You have to take the girls. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, we love the John Day area, so that'll be, yep. that'll be on and the And over time, they became part of the community, and the doctor is buried there at the local cemetery. So when you go visit Cam Wah Chung, the home site, make some extra time and go out to the cemetery as well. Really advise that. For sure. All right, Chris, your third... And final pick? Fort Rock. Oh, <laughs> nice. I was terrified beautiful. you were going to pick Fort Rock. <laughs> I love Fort so Rock. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I had an alternative Tub Springs um, uh, with one B, not two. Uh, but Fort Rock, uh, is. Uh, I'm going to make that pick. Uh, the geology is stunning. This is uh, a volcano remnant uh, in the Christmas Valley, so in the Lapine south of Bend area. Uh, and it was a mainly submerged volcano. So as it erupted, it was surrounded by a shallow sea. And uh, the way that affects the molten rock that comes up out of the ground, it's like looking at a melted candy bar. Uh, and uh, it's just stunning to look at. Um, uh, the volcanic crater eroded on one side uh, due to wave action from the shallow sea so it's a horseshoe shaped uh, crater you can get in it's not a difficult walk unless you want to make it want to walk all around the <laughs> way around the outside which you know uh, you can do you're going to see wildfires uh, wildfires look at me wildflowers <laughs> and bird life and insects that you just don't see here on the west side and a short distance away in the summer as Fort Rock Cave. I'm not going to tell you where. I don't know if it's like, if that counts as part of, because it's all treated as the same park, but they're separate but it's properties. Totally different so I'm going to count that as like one pick okay. because the Fort Rock Cave is the site is where cool. uh, woven sandals were right. found. That's yes. right. The 10,000 years. Uh, that yeah. were, were dated mm-hmm. back. And I'm going to push that back to maybe thirteen or 14,000 years at the time they were one of the oldest relics found uh, that signified human habitation uh, in North America. Yeah, it mentioned a shallow sea in that area, and uh, the uh, Native American presence um, adapted to the sort of the mushy ground by weaving sandals together out of cedar bark. And there was a collection of about 20 pair <laughs> or so, um, memory serves, found in this cave. Uh, and when they dated them and realized what they had, it became sort of a worldwide sensation. It really changed the clock that people think of human habitation in North America. There have been other older finds found since then, but Fort Rock was the first one that really set that that clock back. Uh, so it's a tremendous experience, both geologically and uh, other natural perspectives, and also the cultural perspective is there for me. The thing that sticks out to me about that area is you walk inside it, and it feels like you're in like a coliseum because it really yes. surrounds yeah, yeah. you. It's really impressive. Um, but there's also, it makes a great stop on a road trip of that area. Um, the time I stopped there, I went and snowshoed up to Hager Mountain Lookout, yeah, nice. which is not far away. And it's one of the best experiences you can have in Oregon is snowshoeing yep. to the top of a mountain. And then you get to you know split your firewood and hang out in a little <laughs> fire lookout. 
Yeah. I'm not kidding. It just takes you back to like, you feel like you're in the 1930s, you know. Yeah. Did you go to Crack in the Ground as well when you were there? Crack in the Ground is also uh, also close, which is literally a crack deep in the ground. It's exactly. It describes it perfectly. <laughs> and if you ever, I can't come up with a name off the top of my head, but there's a little restaurant on the road out there that's, Super famous for having it's uh, cowboy, cowboy dinner. Cowboy yes. dinner. the yeah. cowboy dinner place. Yeah. Yeah. You have to call in in advance and tell them you're coming. Yeah, and you eat for like and ten you, people yeah. with one meal. Yeah, and it's the largest, most delicious steak you will ever have in your life. And so, well, you, especially if you snowshoot all yep. the way back yeah. down, right. you've earned it. And so you start off with a snowshoe trip. You come down and get the amazing dinner, and then uh, Summer Lake Hot Springs, not too far oh, away. Yeah. So yeah. you soak there, and you're feeling really good. And on the way back, you stop at. Fort Rock and crack in the ground. And that is a really, really good, like two to four day yeah. uh, road trip. Um, okay, so this is gonna be my last pick and I'm gonna do my best to pronounce this correctly. I think I can do it because we did this on a former podcast. Iwi Tim Lakin. Iwi Tim Lakin? You're very close. <laughs> yes, you're very close. This is a, a very small little park that's right next to Wallawa Lake. Um, and the thing I like so much about it is, again, I have the little kids, and it's just like it's a place to relax. Like that area gets pretty crowded during during peak season, but you can stop here and do this little hike. It's very peaceful. You got the Wallawa Mountains, you know, 9,000, 10,000 feet rising right overhead. And you're just strolling through a pasture. Um, there's fun things for the kids to stop and look at, little creekside stuff where they can splash around in. And it's just this nice little peaceful holiday within a vacation. And yeah, it's a pretty new one too. It's it is one of the more recent parks that we opened up during our park of year phase when we were opening up a new park uh, every year. And I think it was years ago. Yeah, I want to say it was 2010 or 2011, something like that. Um, when we opened that one up, and one of the, and I thank you so much for that park because it it's a a good reminder that you know especially the uh, tribal peoples of the state are not just in our history. Mm-hmm. They're they're they're, they're, they're a member of the community. They're here. They're vibrant. They're alive. It's not just a oh look at the pretty pictures on the wall. Um, mm-hmm. And yet you really get a lot from that park about that experience. The interpretive experience is is powerful. I mean, you know. When you want to understand that area's history, it's a good place to go. Not only because from reading it, but you can but also see it. you can see it, and then you can walk just down the road. Like what we did is combine it that hike, and then you just continue the down Chief the road Joseph. to the old Chief Joseph yeah. uh, grave, and you get you feel the history there um, in a way that you know if you're just at the state park. There's a lot going on, you know, right. there's trams to climb and back, yeah. you know, yeah. backcountry right. trips to plan and all that stuff. But this area kind of centers you in this place. So nice. Well, that is all the time we have left. I appreciate you guys talking through, you know, the importance of Oregon State Parks, what was a really challenging year, and then also taking some time to sort of celebrate what makes the park system so special and fun. So appreciate you being here. Nice. Sweet. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. That's about all the time we have for on this episode of the Explore Oregon podcast. Make sure to check out other episodes. Hit us up at statesmanjournal.com slash explore. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those fun places. Thanks for listening. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. For the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org.